you and the rest of your kind take blind comfort in the belief that we are monsters, that you could never do what we did. The key ingredient in the anti-agathic cannot be synthesized. It must be taken from living beings. For one to live forever, another one must die. You will fall upon one another like wolves. It will make what we did pale by comparison. The billions who live forever will be a testimony to my work, and the billions who are murdered to buy that immortality will be the continuance of my work. Not like us, you will become us. That's my monument, Commander. It's a serum which retards the aging process. Watch Babylon 5, tomorrow at 7, exclusively on TNT. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices you know last week i said we were the 28th top tv reviews podcasts in australia well then our friends in new zealand decided to say hold our beer and we are the fourth top tv reviews podcast in new zealand for the past 30 days so i don't know what that means and it probably is like three guys in new zealand going what the hell is this but hey thank you new zealand we appreciate it uh my name is scott and with me as always is i'm justin i'm emily oh i'm jesse <laughs> andrew <laughs> i'm mike kevin john nicole and blake and we are here to talk about every time i hear this name of this episode i think we're going to be listening to some heavy metal hardcore but we are here to talk about death walker so Let's dive right into uh, this episode of season one and do our initial first thoughts. And we will go with Justin first. All right. I mean, I, I originally, yeah, I mean, I'm being a big death metal fan. I very much enjoy um, the title for this. But what kind of struck me more than anything else was um, the character of Jadur. I pre- picked up on her pretty quickly as probably the most interesting character I've encountered on B5 so far. It, the whole thing with, you know, their invasion and with the whole thing with her race uh, being pretty much annihilated and kind of trying to conquer the galaxy totally brought me into kind of thinking of her as the uh, as the con of the B5 universe and not the uh, Ricardo Montalban con. I'm probably thinking more of the Star Trek Into Darkness con. Um, with the way, yeah, as, as Scott just chokes on himself there for a second. There's only but, one Star Trek film I have ever booed in the theater. That's it. Star Trek okay. Into Darkness is what happens when you order Star Trek 2 off Wish.com. <laughs> just saying. But, we move on. <laughs> yes. I, yeah, we can talk for hours about that. But going back to the matter at hand, I really thought that her character was really fascinating. Every time she was on screen, I was fixated on her. And just with her experiments into eugenics and her developing the anti-aging serum or the immortality serum or whatever they ended up calling it, I didn't write it down. I thought she was just a brilliant character. Her whole main work was to try to turn everyone else against her because you can't develop the serum without taking others' lives. And that whole scene where she was talking about, you know, the billions that I will save will be the, you know, cultivation of my work. The billions that die will be the the continuation of my work. She was just so chilling and just so awesome that I really kind of gravitated towards that character. The B-plot... Um, to me, for 99% of the episode, I thought was completely and utterly pointless. And, and, I, and, I, and I will go and I will say Kosh finally freaking shows up for an episode. And I did kind of like that. But 
the whole negotiations between uh, Kosh and Anna Boot, who to me looked like Joe Pesci dressed as the Joker, were just, I mean, that, that, I'm like, why am I watching this? What is this about? Emily. So I thought it was nice that we actually got to see more with Kosh and get a little more information about him. His little business partner, Aboot, the only thing I could think of was he reminded me of Mel Brooks as yogurt for reasons I don't fully understand, but that's where my mind kept going. As far as uh, the main plot, yeah, she was evil, and I kind of hope she ends up in like a burning pit of lava. As I've mentioned before, JMS tends to write characters based on who he has in his head. Can anyone guess who the vicar was written for? I'm still going to say Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci or Mel Brooks. I I like the Mel Brooks Mm. thing, but Gilbert Gottfried. I can totally see that. that. Uh, I can see that. And then Gilbert Gottfried's like, I just did Aladdin, so I don't need you. (laughs) I don't need your money. I got got Disney money. I got Iago shit. Let's go. All right. Uh, Jesse. Um, I liked it. I started and it was like, oh, okay, I'm actually excited about this. I am not dreading it. So it was, um, it was a good time. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the character development. The last episode we listened to, you know, we asked for, I asked for more character development from Talia and I think we're getting it. I don't see it as completely pointless. I think that, you know, we're going somewhere with that. Um, Jador, who I lovingly, um, referred to as Team Wolf's mom the whole time. Um, I enjoyed. <laughs> I enjoyed the character. I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the show overall. For those of us who grew up on Superman, she was Ursa, and she will always be Ursa in our hearts. Hot, Andrew, you're up. Probably the only thing I can really say is that uh, uh, after this episode, uh, I'm starting to really like Kosh uh, in the same way that I also like Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. I like her. Interesting connection. <laughs> Well, like, just a Kosh kind of gave me like the same vibe as like you don't know for sure if you can ever trust him. You don't know who he's really like who he's trying to benefit. Now I really want to see Kosh open a brothel. That's what I'm looking for. Mike, you're up. Be amazing. (laughs) I agree. Mike, you're up. Um, yeah, uh, this is a pretty good episode. I thought I kind of walked into it expecting it to be the villain of the week and kind of being cheesy. But um, in fact, there's a fair bit of world building that goes on in this episode. I think the the, the acting was actually overall pretty darn good. I think um, Sarah Douglas plays a really compelling villain <laughs> in this one. Um, you know, and there's another another cool cameo from uh, Robin Curtis, who if you remember is Lieutenant Savick from Star Trek three and four, um, who did a nice job as the ambassador. Um, some good character moments with a lot of different people with Sinclair, with especially Garibaldi and Lanier, I thought had great moments in this, uh, Lanier giving off that, uh, big golden retriever energy, uh, in this one. <laughs> uh, and then a really good moment in the end when he has to deliver some bad news and you could tell that he feels like absolute crap about it and he does not agree with it. Um, really good um you know and i think the whole thing about uh <laughs> the villain's premise of uh immortality versus justice is a, a really really cool concept in and of itself i think the whole idea of a drug that grants immortality is a sci-fi premise that has been explored but maybe not in, in enough different medias um I, you know i've seen the miracle day torchwood if anybody's a doctor who fan they've probably seen that and it was pretty darn interesting um but yeah i really like this one i want me some more torchwood back please supposedly we may be getting it supposedly really kevin. Mm. yeah well um we can talk about doctor who later but yes <laughs> kevin <laughs> I, I too really enjoyed seeing both robin curtis and sarah douglas in this episode and i definitely really like this episode it uh it, it really has some good character development on Sinclair and um, some more uh, interesting information on on telepaths uh, and the Vorlons. Um, it finally gives you some interesting information about the Dilgar War um, and some more uh, ominous uh, information about what's going on with earth and their thought process on things, but, and and some, some interesting uh, dynamics on the council as well. Uh, But I, I, I agree. I especially really liked Lanier in this episode. I thought uh, he, he and Garibaldi were 
the the every man in this episode, even if uh, they weren't able to always do exactly what they wanted to do, uh, you, you definitely um, went through the story more thinking along their lines as anybody else. John. So shockingly, this is my favorite episode so far after Born to the Purple, and for a different reason. So I like that one because my boy Lando, first of all, was throwing straight fastballs this episode as well, but we can talk about that later. But um, I actually like some of the stuff that they kind of hit on, which both Mike and Kevin, you know, referenced, which is why it's always great following people as you hear them just talking about your talking points that, that, that he wrote down. Um, but, you know, the, the idea about redemption and about, you know, can you outweigh your, your good with your bad? Um, I thought was, was very interesting. The the whole council thing, again, getting into the politics of, you know, this alliance, this, this uh, station and everything that kind of goes into that, which we can, we can dive into more um, really started piquing my interest. Um, And I liked, you know, kind of how they kind of how they played it. You know what I mean? It was, it was much more um, about politics, about diplomacy. It was, it was a lot of the same stuff that, uh, you know, does really interest me. I mean, we, most of us came together through, you know, uh, fake politics in college and, and our, our shared love of, of all of that. So um, this, I thought this really spoke to me specifically, and I'm not surprised that a lot of this, a lot of us also had the same love for it. So. And unlike the gathering, they got the abstention, right? So we're moving up in the world. We're doing good. Nicole, what do you got? I really like this episode. I thought there was a lot of meat to it, if that makes sense. Um, there was a lot of uh, different characters that were introduced that played a bigger part. We kind of got to see a little bit of everybody, and we got to see more of characters that we already know. So I thought it was really cool how they kind of you know, showed some new characters, a little bit more of them, a little bit more storyline on some current characters. Uh, and I really thought... Um, the whole, like, you know, from start to finish, it was very, like, interesting. And, you know, it was kind of, um, I think it's very foreshadowing of what's going to happen. Uh, but we can dive into that a little later. But overall, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I thought that uh, that uh, Death Walker was, like, I, I didn't want to like her, but she was kind of like an evil genius. Um, so uh, I don't particularly like her, but, man, she she kind of played everybody. So... She played everybody but the Vorlons. They exactly, played her. exactly. <laughs> like, so for me, this episode really shows where JMS is a fan of old school Star Trek because you see in this episode the type of classic morality plays and ethical issues that classic TOS was known for. And I mean, as John mentioned, or I think it was Mike mentioned, you know, the the anti-aging serum that that's a sci-fi trope that's gone around but when you look through history and you look at medical and scientific advances throughout history and we've talked about jms's nazi connections and his family's connections and you look at things that came out of research and other stuff out of nazi germany or other unethical medical experiments throughout history this episode takes those very real issues and puts them into uh, the context of this story very much in the vein of what Roddenberry did in early TOS. And Blake, I'll take the one thing I want to add to what all you said, which you guys have gotten most of what I was thinking too, um, is to take something out of your playbook. This is also where JMS once again points out this is not Star Trek. Yes, mm-hmm. he is absolutely taking something from the page of a TOS, but in Star Trek, our heroes would have found a way not to do this. At the end, everyone is somewhat okay with what she's doing. The League of Non-Online Worlds are like, well, as long as we can get in the deal, we're fine. The humans, I mean, Sinclair, our hero, is saying, well, I can't do anything, so stick her on a boat and send her back to Earth. And finally, the Vorlons are like, well, we'll just do it for you. Mm-hmm. So in Star Trek, it would not have gone that way. And that's no. what I appreciate about this show, too. Even though I love Star Trek, Babylon 5 is its own thing. Justin, what do you got? Which then, to me, brings up the struggle, what is the intention of the Vorlon? Are they, is... Because I get a total throughout the episode and even in previous episodes, I get the vibe that they're planning a war against everyone else. or they're planning a war against humanity. And then this happens and I'm like, well, maybe they're the guiding. Maybe they 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 feel like they have to be a guiding hand. Maybe they're already immortal beings. Maybe they've already experienced the same trials and tribulations that they're trying to help uh the rest of the populace prevent. So I still, I still really don't know what the Vorlon are about and I can't wait to find out more. 
Mike? There have been a couple of references, and I don't know if I'm just mistaking the wording or not, about how Jador kind of at the end, she's trying to uh, outweigh her bad with her good. And I actually kind of got the takeaway that that is not at all true. She's trying no. to give the universe a big final middle finger by, yes. by giving them a problem that they're going to have to just struggle and kill each other over. Yeah, she's trying to prove she was right by making the entire universe do what she did. Yeah, which is hundred percent makes her Agreed. honestly one of the best sci-fi villains I've ever seen. To what Justin said about the Vorlons, uh, you know, it's like are they actually themselves immortal? Because he definitely makes it sound that way. That was a thought that kind of occurred to me too. You're not ready for that. Does that mean they are, <laughs> or they went through the same thing and they're trying to prevent it from happening elsewhere? I absolutely believe that we will be talking Vorlons a lot and beyond the rim. Nicole? So kind of going along with what Justin said, the thing about the Vorlons is we don't really know what his intentions are. There's been a couple little nuggets of him, you know, watching um, the clips of things on Earth and kind of like studying humans and Earth and all that. And, you know, he refuses to participate in the council and, you know, he's just kind of on his own. So my thoughts were, is he like plotting or scheming or shady or when he said shady camp? Well, you know, but like when he was like, you're not ready for that. It's like he was the only person or I guess alien being um, that thought with any sense, because here's the thing, people on Earth. I mean, even now are greedy and will do anything to not age and they get Botox and they get nothing wrong with that if you do. But I'm just saying, like, people don't want to age. They're afraid of that. So I can see whether or not it's now or in the future, like the show is set. People don't want to age. People don't want to die. People like want that eternal youth. So something like that, they would be all about. Everyone else was like, all right, cool, let's get this immortality going, and then we can put her on trial, which she knew damn well it wasn't ever going to happen. I don't know. I thought maybe I almost got a sense of, like, and I could be completely wrong, maybe a little bit of protectiveness, like, or preventing all of these issues. So I don't know. Again, we don't know anything about him, so it's hard to tell, um, but that's just kind of what I was thinking about. John? Uh, I was waiting for her to say it because the Vorlon definitely moved into shady territory this episode for sure. They did. They did. From the jump, from both plots, it was just straight shady. Uh, but to the end, it's funny that, I mean, you guys are talking like, oh, finally they did it. They did it. They did it. When I saw that, I was like, who the hell do they think they are? They're just coming in here just with that beat talking about, oh, we'll just murder people because we're just extrajudicial and whatever. And I thought, man, this whole, this episode, they talked, I, I you know, it was interesting when they were, you know, all the other species were like trying to lay claim, like, no, 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 we're going to try. No, we're going to try. No, we're going to try. And, you know, it made me think of like international, like criminal courts, you know, that we have now. And, you know, they're, they're only about as good as, you know, the people who actually adhere to them. And it was funny that earth was like, Hey, look, yeah. Uh, you know, much like in, in our little situation here, right. They're like, Oh yeah, you should definitely be tried for war crimes. And then they're like, Oh, well we got this American. No, 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 no. You will not try an American in a war crime. What are you crazy? And so the Earth Alliance, I got that same kind of energy when, you know, all these different species are like, man, we have a, such a claim to trying her for the atrocities she committed against us. And Earth was like, well, that's cute, but she can give us something. And so she's beneficial to us. And since we kind of run Babylon 5, we're just going to go ahead and take her. So you guys can just, you know, sit down, remember where you are, and uh, and, and we'll take it from here, um, which we can get into more in terms of some of the, the politics stuff. Cause I, again, was in, interested that the, you know, the league, they, they have all these people, but it sounded like they had one vote. And I was like, man, the power dynamic, you know, how come they're not, you know, rising up. And when they started to threaten about like, well, we might just take our stuff and go home. I was like, man, I hope they dive more. That's the stuff that really got me interested. So it was when the Vorlons came through and just said, yeah, we're going to do whatever we want to Good luck. I was like, Ooh, that was a big power play. These shady mofos. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned the uh, international war co- uh Uh, court and everything i completely agree with you on that it wasn't just americans too i mean after world war ii operation paperclip you know we are about to as we record this we're going to launch the first mission to the moon and with a a man uh capable ship artemis one well apollo didn't get anywhere without werner von braun and Mm. he helped to make the v2 rocket emily um yeah i was gonna bring up what john said about the vorlon and you know, Babylon and is a station where they're supposed to be kind of working together and the Vorlon just make this unilateral, unilateral decision to assassinate somebody. And they're just like, yeah, we don't like what's happening. So psh, just blow up the ship. 
And I want to see how that's going to play out in regards to, you know, the relationships between all these different races, because Vorlon have really just kind of been like there, but not participating. It, it seems like Kosh is some sort of informant to his government and not really there to improve relations. It just seems more like an information gathering kind of thing and passing stuff back so they can do whatever in the hell it is they want to do. Yeah, and this is something I, I mentioned, I think, in The Gathering, is one of the reasons why this show stands out from Star Trek again, too, is not all the civilizations are on the same level, for the most part. I mean, you can argue, okay, well, there's the Tholians, but they don't ever show up. This, we have different hierarchies. John, you mentioned the League of Unaligned Worlds only have one vote. Well, they're kind of the new kids on the block. They have maybe one or two ships from their home planet, and they're, that's it. And actually, the reason why Earth Alliance is not a new kid on the block is because of the Dilgar invasion. They came out and saved everyone's butts, and that's why they moved up. So, And, of course, the Vorlons, we don't know everything about them yet, but they obviously are a much more superior race than anyone else. And I like that about this show. It, it adds to the dynamics. Jesse. I was like, who the hell is Kashengi is? Like, this is this is way above, like, kind of God complex territory. Like, he's making decisions for people that have absolutely nothing to do with him. And it, it sucked from watching it. It sucked from the non-aligned um, territories. What do they call them? League of Non-Aligned Worlds. Yeah. So all of those, none of those people get justice. Not a single one of those people get to try her for her crimes. And it's it's unfortunate because it's it goes along with crimes being committed and the person commits suicide. And it's like there's no justice for anybody. There was just this huge tragedy. And then the person responsible doesn't even have to answer for it. So I, I felt bad, you know, for the the other nations that didn't get their chance. But I, I completely agree with you on that, except for I will add at the end of the day, they were willing to bargain, too. True. Even them who at, at first in that hallway said, you'll have to kill all of us before you take her off this ship. As soon as they realized that they could get a little piece of the pie, they were willing to bargain too. Well, and people are going to do that. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. you're going to, people are going to do what benefits yeah. them. And, and for them to even make that compromise, I, I, it showed class to me because I thought, you know, at least that's a compromise that works for everyone and not just the, the, the earth. What do you guys more people aren't on the Vorlon side, given that they they solved both problems in this episode and only had to fire two shots. It is interesting to me that they missed the first time, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the gunner was asleep at the wheel, although... Well, look yeah. what he's worked with. He's got that little telescoping Waldo that pops out of his cloak. And... <laughs> was, that, was that an answer to the gathering question about the hand? You Possibly, know? yeah. Now he's got the little... <laughs> He stopped at Spencer's gifts on his way up there, and <laughs> Mike, what do you got? Um, I, I okay. I, I mean, I'll back that statement up to say that, like, I do kind of agree with the Vorlons in this. I it, Jesse brought up a really interesting point about denying people justice and closure on on something you know deeply traumatic. But at the same time, I, as a parent, I just had this this vibe of Dad Kosh showing up and being like, "That's a stupid idea, and you're not doing that." Like, like I've seen where it goes when my kid blows up the big beach ball and then tries to stand on top of it. That's a trip to the ER, and I'm just not going to ask them if they want to continue with that plan of action or not. I'm going to make them not do it. So that was very much the vibe that I got from that. And yeah, is it a little bit arrogant? Because it's not actually a parental thing, but I, it is. But at the same time, I think, you know, he took a decisive action that he thought was pretty definitely the right answer. And there are those times who's to say. Nicole, what do you got? I was going to say, kind of going along what Mike just said, like, I feel like it does suck that they didn't get justice, but the minute they had the opportunity to get in on that immortality, it's like all that want for justice went out the window and the greed came, you know? So I feel like Kosh blowing up her ship it was more about not necessarily killing her but stopping anyone from ever getting that serum and that was almost a bigger problem i feel like than anything else like what she did was terrible and yeah people should be held accountable for their crimes 100 percent. but regardless of what was going to happen we all know what was going to happen she was going to go to earth 
They were going to create the serum. Everybody was going to get a piece of the pie. They were going to have the immortality. And she would have never got tried. She would have ran or got out of there or there would have never been any justice at, at the end because people would have got what they wanted, which was the immortality. And then everyone would be tearing each other apart, like she said. So I feel like I, I kind of feel like, yeah, like the almost like the protective vibe in a way, even though I still think Kasha is shady as hell. I do think that stopping anyone from getting their hands on that serum was a good option, even though it kind of sucks that everybody else didn't get that justice that they deserved. Um, you know, so, and, and a whole nother thing about the top, which I'll get into later when we do predictions. So, um, you know, she didn't get her, uh, what was it? They called it show, show car. I guess that's revenge like her revenge, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like I assume that that means revenge. Like she didn't get that either. So like, I'm almost wondering how that's going to play out in the long run. So, um, but that'll be one of my questions for later. Kevin. Yeah. It, it struck me as more of a blood oath than anything, but yeah, revenge is a good way to put it. As far as, um, this episode goes i think this is one of my favorites for the first season for garibaldi because um this really shows you who he is he's the guy who uh he is the everyman but he's he's usually right he is more than willing to tell somebody when they're going down a path even if they're a friend even if they're a superior even if they're both where uh, he's he's going to tell them how it is, but at the end of the day, he's going to be a, a loyal loyal officer and do what he's told. But I, and I don't know if he's going to say "I told you so" at the end, but probably not. Uh, but this is this is a great Garibaldi episode, and I would love to hear Keneally's uh, rebuttal to that. I you know it's funny you said about about Garibaldi. So I was actually going to say, and everyone, hold on to your seats. I did actually enjoy a, a portion of Lieutenant Commander who should not be named. Gas! <laughs> Gas! Dear, dear Diary. Come on, John. Say the name. Come on. You can do it. Uh, Ivanova, was it? I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, for fuck's sake, John. I hate you. I hate you with a burning passion. <laughs> now I'm going to give hate mail again. Say it right. Uh, so no, so Ivana and crew, the, the conversation they had on the bridge was one of my favorite scenes uh, in the show. I actually enjoyed it a lot. It, it, as far as character development, I think Mike was saying earlier, this, this episode provided a lot. That was a, a pivotal point of it. I enjoyed, um, you know, everyone's kind of point of view, uh, you know, all the, the conversation. I just really enjoyed that a lot. That, that, that was the type of show that I hope this does more of, you know, more of, Again, that character development, showing those personalities, showing um, where they clash, showing where they come together and, and letting them kind of, you know, blossom a little bit. So I, I really enjoyed that a lot. So I got nothing. Although uh, to talk about Garibaldi, I guess I was disappointed. This show is the thirstiest show in all of space. And if I had to pick, if there was going to be one dude who was going to try to get some tang, I would have put money with Garibaldi and not the weird open brain robot guy. But, you know, I guess I would have lost that bet. Entirely. He just wanted to give her a pastrami sandwich. That's all. That's all and a sunspot. Hey, listen, it looks like you're doing something wrong. That's all I'm going to say. You know, and John, I'm not surprised you you like this episode because Londo has one of his best lines in, t in the entire show in this episode. He's not in this episode much, but when uh, they walk into the council and like, oh, nothing was happening, right? Well, we were trying to keep it quiet. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh. Like That like, made me snort laugh, that part. His ratio was just off the chain this episode. It's just, again, I just, there's no way he's not everyone's favorite character. He's incredible. And again, like you said, with like seven seconds of airtime, he crushed it. <laughs> well, and what I loved about the end of the episode when, uh, when the ship ended up getting destroyed and he just like smiles and he's like, well, all's well that ends well, you know, like just being very like, oh, well, that shit kind of sorted itself. Okay, great. It's because he didn't have to deal with it. It was very clear yeah. that Centauri absolutely wanted a certain thing to happen. And he's just like, well, I guess we don't have to deal with that anymore. He got his wish. He got his wish. If the phrase, you got coshed, isn't a thing after this episode, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know when it will be. <laughs> There's a shirt. Yep. That's our new hashtag, you got coshed. You just got coshed. All right. So while we're talking about the Vorla and their assassination, can we also talk about the wind swords? harboring this criminal 
And who are they? And what exactly were they doing harboring her? This, like, I... I had a lot of questions about that, and some of those will show up in the question section, but um, there was a group of Mimbari harboring this criminal, and the government found out about it and was just kind of like, eh, let's just keep that quiet because it wasn't a good thing to do, and now we don't want people to know. <laughs> like, there's something going on there. <laughs> I, I will add to the shadiness of the wind swords a little bit because this is not spoiler. It actually comes from what JMS just said back in the nineties. Remember the guy who tried to blow up the station with the changeling net and the gathering and tried to take out Sinclair yep. and said, you have a hole in your mind. Yep. He was a wind sword, same clan. And, and they, so they are, are afraid of Sinclair, involved. which I found very interesting. Yes. Yes. They know all Sinclair. Them, well, like all of them are, seems to be obsessed with this dude. It's crazy. Yeah, and if you want to talk about, like, the perceptions of the different, like, main races in the show, right, the Centauri are the ones who come off as super dodgy, right? They're the, the used car salesmen of the universe. The Narn are, like, the rough and tumble, like, we'll do whatever to scrap with whoever, right? I've got the impression, watching the series, that the Mimbari tried to cast themselves as these, like, very holier-than-thou sorts of characters. Not in the same way that, that Dad Kosh does, but not to be confused with Dad Kevin. Uh, <laughs> but not like, a dad, he's a daddy. You're right. You're daddy. right. But you're like the Mimbari kind of cast themselves as these like pure beings who like yeah they were in a war but that they chose not to and they're very religious blah 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 and here we have like our another not the first but another prime example of them basically admitting that they are flawed and that they do terrible shit just like everybody else does and they were ashamed to admit of this mistake that they had made that they had harbored this criminal and potentially used some of her innovations in their war against humanity well and you know it's not just the bimbari i mean let's talk about dylan here for a second now of course behind the scenes it's because mira furlong was only contracted for a certain amount of episodes and this wasn't one of them but storyline wise she let lanier do the dirty work for her so let's keep that in mind and, and then the last point I wanted to make, it was just kind of bringing it back to super serious territory when, when everybody was talking about how, you know, if you're mad that the Vorlons deprived everybody of justice, yeah, I guess I just would raise a philosophical point about well, what does justice really look like in this, right? Let's say that you let any one of those non-aligned world races go and try the war criminal. Like, what is the, what is the outcome? Everybody gets a dog and pony show that says, yep, she was horrible. And then they have her executed well warlon saved everybody a whole lot of time and effort didn't they i think you get i I think you would get you know much like our courts allow victim impact statements i think you get to let people kind of tell their story and force her to listen to it right whether at the end of that is she's self-serving well sure well that's what justice she's a a sociopath she'll get off on it right i mean is there really is there really justice for somebody that has killed your family? No, I mean, there is no justice. Your family's still dead, but at least you get the, you, it it is self-serving. It's the, I got my five seconds to stand up and tell you how terrible you made me feel. Even though the person who did that probably doesn't give a shit. I was saying, Um, Inovanova hit the nail on the head with that too, didn't she? She said like, oh, tyrants seldom show remorse for the things that they do. mm -hmm. And she absolutely didn't. Right. I give yeah. some kind of shit too, but uh, he actually uh, got some positive stuff for me this episode too. So instead of just jumping into throwing himself, you know, to possibly be killed or, you know, whatever, he uses, he uses mine what much more and was really, you know, kind of dove into the politics of, you know, getting uh, negotiations and, and kind of trying to work it out. You know, he got that weird gold comms from a senator, which I didn't realize a senator could just, you know, tell a commander what to do. I don't, I don't know what that chain of commands like, but uh but I, I thought how he handled it was was fairly impressive. The only only little knock, because I still got to throw my hate in, because there's too much love coming out of me right now, um, was you know his seemingly best friend or close friend Garibaldi's telling him, no you can't do this, no you can't do this, no you can't do this, and he's adamant like yes I am. And then as soon as some random aliens like don't do it, he's like you know what you're right, it's a good point, I won't do it. Thank you for opening up my mind. I thought it was just a pretty quick turn that uh, uh, could have been handled a little bit better, but you know you've only got so much so much time in an episode, so I get it. Yeah, John, to the senator piece, um, we actually had that happen in the gathering too. He was talking to a senator uh, about whatever back then. And 
what has been told by JMS to the fans about that, and this was, again, 30 years ago, he said this, there is a Senate committee that oversees basically the funding of B5, and so they have special access. So uh, much like the um, chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee is going to be able to say more about the budget than other senators, these people are on the B5 committee. Sure. But I mean, he gave him like a, an order. He was like, well, I've given an order. I just, so. Yeah. And so I think I, part of that is there's within the station, it's kind of a dual role because there's the military function, which falls under, you know, the earth military. But then there's also this ambassadorial piece, which even in, you know, like with the U.S. government, ambassadors don't answer to the military. They answer to the, to the executive branch, yeah. you know, so there's, I think it's that dual role where when it's an issue of something to do under the ambassadorial or diplomatic side, that's when we tend to see the Senate giving more of the orders and directives versus the military side. And James like, has never I, said that, but if you look at a lot of the, and they blur that a few times, but that tends to be when they do that. But like, I don't remember this ever coming up, but I'm also pretty sure Earth Alliance is more of a parliament than a congressional yeah. system. It so, is, I mean, we call it a Senate. It's an American show. They call it the Senate. But so really the president and the part uh, the Senate kind of work more hand in hand than usually you would see in a constitutional democracy, I guess. But it was also interesting that, uh, you know, it was kind of just casually thrown away. And I guess maybe we should assume all of the ambassadors have it, but the non have like a spy in Sinclair's outfit somewhere. Right. He said, oh, my source mm-hmm. said this is like, oh, well, the non are just keeping track of Sinclair and everything that's going on. And they do it quick, too. You got leaks, man. It's like a sieve. <laughs> I mean, we just saw in uh, the last episode that you got security guards who have to pay off gambling debts and do what they need to do. So I am absolutely sure there are people who are in a place where they have to get um, be clandestine. I mean, I'm thinking almost to, um, without doing too much spoilers for another show, I'm thinking of For All Mankind. There's somebody who falls into being a spy without even realizing that they're a spy just because, you know, death by a thousand cuts. So it can absolutely happen anywhere oh i just lost my train of thought oh the like the the other worlds like so that they're right so they don't really have i know you said they're new but okay well how long is that gonna last right so like there's a bunch of them and they basically get one collective vote and they already thought or you know threatened to say like all right we'll, we'll just pack up and go home then clearly Babylon five clearly nobody wants that so I mean, I guess, you know, maybe this is more of a question, but, you know, I hope they'll dive into that more. And I would imagine that there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, story there to tell about that dynamic in terms of, you know, the council they have is is oddly set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's going to be like much in season one. Uh, and this is, again, not a spoiler. It's just what you guys have already seen. JMS is setting up a lot of dominoes right now. And as we get farther into the show, he'll start kicking over some of those dominoes. And I think absolutely this world building you're seeing, not only with Earth Alliance, but with how the um, uh, station is ran and how the council is run will absolutely come into play as we get deeper into the show. Nicole, what do you got? I just wanted to uh, comment on one thing I noticed too. And I, I guess maybe it's more of a question, but at the end, when Talia goes up to Sinclair to say, hey, you know, I think I have a problem with Kosh, um, and then told him, like, what happened with that. And him and, like, Garibaldi were kind of, like, having a drink and talking about the day and all that stuff. And, you know, they're like, yeah, that'll happen. And, oh, yeah, that's a recorder and blah, blah, blah. So I I almost felt like they blew it off a little bit. But I also wonder if maybe that's going to be, like, something that Sinclair would look into or if that was just kind of like them oh yeah they do that kind of thing whatever you know but I just felt like they kind of just didn't really like she just kind of walked away like looking almost like a little defeated so I almost wonder like I don't know did they like mean to blow her off or are they gonna look into it kind of thing like it was just something that I noticed that I was like "Hmm, what's up with that so yeah I had that same thought too it was like well yeah they're just both just like yeah well you just got coshed Right, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's getting cash today. Emily, what do you got? Yeah, it's to what Nicole was saying about how they responded to her having this issue with Kosh and them, yeah, acting like it wasn't that big of an issue. But if you have this telepath on your station who's supposed to be of assistance and she's essentially been compromised by the situation 
you know, they've figured out a way to, I don't know if it's blocking her abilities, but get in her head and make her see and experience things that are really unsettling and traumatizing. And would that then become destabilizing for her? And does that then put the station at risk? Or, you know, if this is happening to her, is there other stuff? Are they doing other stuff in her head that she's not aware of because she's distracted by these like traumatizing scenarios? John, you had something else? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of piggybacking on what they just said, but it, you would think that they would be a little more concerned for the telepath on the ship. I mean, that not only is, you know, Vorlon... The, you know, they've shown to, again, just kind of kill whoever they want. But now, you know, Kosh is just playing with the the telepath, playing with Winters and just, you know, oh, well, we're just going to speak in riddles and have you meet us at the, the weirdest times I've ever heard of that didn't make any sense. And like, by the way, it's all just mental mind games and we're going to record it all and I'm going to study it and like keep that in my back pocket for later. And, you know, like Nicole said, like Emily said a little bit, it's like these guys just having a beer and just basically like, oh, man, bummer. What a, you know, Mondays, am I right? And I was like, what? Like. She just told you about the serial killer she had. She still has nightmares about his traumatizer. She's opened up to you and said, this is really crazy. And this tapped into that. And that you have said, okay, well, whatever. And it's like, maybe you should dive in more, not just for her and her own well-being, but like, hey, man, there's a lot of stuff going on with her potentially being weaponized with this species that you know next to nothing about, who just flat out was like, oh, if you guys are going to do this, we're just going to come out of nowhere and shoot this. I mean, there's so much that it, they felt like, they really, really underplayed it. And so again, here you go, Kevin, Garibaldi again, the head of security, what's he doing? Just shit at his job, man. Shit at his job. Especially with the crystal, like handing over the crystal. What was that? So she's sitting there while they're having this nonsense conversation. Someone's inside her head messing with it. And they're like, oh, and here's a crystal. Like what? We will, answer the, we will talk about the crystal in Beyond the Rim. I hate you. I hate you. So, I'm, I'm gonna quit <laughs> we're all quitting no more newbies for you scott <laughs> i'm just gonna start watching that hbo max call my name i'll be back <laughs> hey as much as i hated the end of the game of thrones the first episode of house of the dragon wasn't bad it has a lot of matt smith in it so it's not bad can we not, can we not today can and we naked, just go one freaking smith. episode without talking about other shows that oh it's too late <laughs> Yeah, I've we've never seen Game of we've talked about Doctor Who, Torchwood, Star Trek, Game of Thrones, uh, for all mankind. <laughs> okay. Anybody else have anything before we go into questions and predictions? Everybody okay. is shady. It's not it's just a blank statement. I just want to say every time, every new episode, right? Just when I think, oh no, okay, these guys, these guys might be the good guys. Oh no, okay, these guys might be, you know, they're blah blah blah. You know, like Mike was saying, like the Mimbari. Okay, they want to project to this, and then it turns out, nope, they're just as shady as everybody else. I just, the only ones that maybe I'm a little homer for them, but the Centauri just, I think they're my favorite race. I think they're probably the best people. They're, they're also the, they're also the race that tells you exactly what they're there for. They're the ones that say we're, we're here to be an empire and we're kind of in the end of it. And we don't like that. And we're just going to screw up everybody. They're very up in the open about that. Yeah. Although the, I mean, then the Narn, they said, you know, they're making their moves pretty hard. But again, I mean, I, I've said it before, but this is why I like this show a lot. Well, there's many reasons, but there is a lot of gray here. No one is a white knight. No one is an evil supervillain. There's a lot of gray. And uh, if you don't like gray, um, this ain't your show. That's right in the title. <laughs> I think you can answer it. Did, is this the first time we heard Cop talk, or did he speak in one of the previous episodes? No, he's spoken a couple. He's spoken The Gathering. Uh, he spoke in, uh, remember in uh, Midnight, the first episode, the, uh, he said, let them die, both the Narn and the Centauri. Oh, what, a, uh, what a bag of fun that guy is. He is. He is. <laughs> he didn't say those words, did he? Didn't he just say? No, no, yes. no. no was, Sinclair, yes. Sinclair said, uh, he said, let them die. And Sinclair said, the Narn or the Centauri. And Kosh said, yes. That's right. Which is one of my gifts I use way too much. Kosh saying yes. <laughs> it's a good gift. Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and get in the uh, questions, predictions. For those who are just joining us, we are about to jettison the newbies out an airlock uh, so they can't hear about spoilers. But before then, we want to get all their questions from Death Walker and all their predictions moving forward so we can talk about them just as soon as they can't hear about it. So we'll go with Justin first. Questions and predictions. 
I have one question and one prediction. Um, why specifically did they target Talia? And I feel like they did that for a reason. I feel like she was set up. So with the Joe Pesci Joker and with uh, with Kosh, I, I, I feel like that she was, again, specifically targeted for some reason in order to provide Kosh with some kind of information. So I want to kind of find out more about that in the future, hopefully. And then just um, just then a prediction. Um, I don't know where it's coming from, and I don't know who it'll be, but I think I've watched enough sci-fi to identify patterns that there's a war coming. And it could be from when Jakar said that they're not done with the Mimbari yet. It could be from the actions of the Valorn. It could be the Earth Alliance um, with their alien xenophobia that we've seen kind of displayed in some of the past episodes. But I just kind of feel that that gathering storm that eventually we're going to see kind of a major war erupt uh, somewhere. And I'm, I'm very kind of uneasy, but also at the same time, very interested to see how that unfolds. If you could, um, I am searching for a newspaper right now. Uh, what for me? I didn't do no, it. For no, me. Not, you can no. translate that look into a t-shirt. We <laughs> No, Justin uh calling them the, the Valoran. They're not they're not a type of drapery material. We went through the whole fucking episode with Justin pronouncing everything right. Yeah. And then until we get the to very that. Until, until the end. I okay, to all the Facebook people and YouTubers, I'm sorry. <laughs> Vorlan, Vorlan, <laughs> not the Vorlord. It's, it's like it's like Vorlan forever. Vorlan, Vorlan. Ah, get off my lawn, Vorlan. The fabric, velour. Is that what I heard? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, John. Thank you, Emily. You're up. Question predictions. Okay, so questions. Um. How going forward? How is everyone going to respond with the Vorlon decision to uh, unilaterally act and just assassinate somebody? Um, the Wind Swords. How much are they acting outside of government approval if they were harboring a criminal? And um, has Talia now been compromised? If someone can get in her head and make her like re-experience um, traumatic interactions with you know a psychopath. But what's going to happen to her with that? Does that affect her ability to do whatever her job is on the station? Jesse? I don't know what's on the crystal. I know we've already talked about that. Um, And I want to know how they did that. Like, how did you get into her head like that? Um, The whole interaction was confusing. The whole whole process of them talking in gibberish and that was all. I literally had no idea what was going on. I'm not sure I still do. So So you don't know when the hour of scampering or the hour of learning is? I still don't know what that is. You know, I I Googled scampering because I was like, what the hell does that mean? Like, what what is he talking about? And I didn't get any kind of answers. So I moved on. You know what? Back in 1994, someone asked JMS, I swear to God what's the hour of scampering and his response was it's tea time nice like tea time well that's well that's 4 p.m yeah pretty much i always take it as like the hour of scampering is when everyone runs around like little mice so it's like right after work shift change yeah. i guess but yeah yeah, no, tea, time is, the, yeah. Tea, tea time is 4 p.m yep well then what's that what is the hour of longing then <laughs> Uh, whenever noon whenever everyone wants to get the hell out of work and they can't yeah. <laughs> honestly honestly i picked it up as midnight it's about 1 a.m it's when you start hitting that what you do in text or you up text that's the hour of longing for sure <laughs> Are you doing... that too. i was thinking that too what you're spending way too much time on only fans okay got it wow <laughs> what we went from texting i can't take you pieces anywhere later. Okay, Andrew. And, and we're not going to ask John what comes after the uh, hour of right. Yeah, you no. said, you well. It's like it's like a fishing man. You send out all the wyds and see who responds back. <laughs> what do you want? And then John ends it's, up the hour of do it by himself. It's usually no. Or the hour of shame. Wouldn't that that be the hour of scampering as well? <laughs> Possibly. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrew, yeah. questions and predictions. Yes. 
Um, I don't really have any uh, predict. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just like the yes. yes. And then it was it was very much like yes I'm ready um <laughs> I got nothing how do I how do I follow this up yeah Andrew continue <laughs> uh, my question is oh are Talia is Talia and Kasha's business like over are you shipping or... Kasha and Talia now no I <laughs> he's their collaboration. <laughs> Their professional collaboration. He said the uh, contract was concluded. I thought okay. I had a second one, okay. but I don't think I do. I got you. You never yeah, know. John. Oh. Like a, like a, he's like Littlefinger. <laughs> Little hands. John, questions, predictions? Um, yeah, the only question that hasn't been asked, that's a little bit based on what Emily said too, was, you know, what is it about Sinclair that the Mimbari are just like obsessed with? I mean, Delenn, you know, secretly married this dude. They got whole militant groups that are in awe and or fear this dude. Like, it seems like if you are a Mimbari, you just know about this human Sinclair and have a wide range of emotions. So I just, what is his, you know, whatever to, to them? And, and why is it so crazy? So he made the Triforce glow last week. So as far as the rest of the show, everybody's shady. It's going to be all out. I can't wait to see what happens. Long live Londo. I'm out. Nicole, please finish this. Questions. <laughs> so questions. Um, is Natak going to have an issue with Kosh? And is there going to be a conflict with the Narn and the Borlon after this? Because she didn't get her revenge or blood oath, as Kevin said. Um, so that was one question I had. Um, also, I think Emily already said it, but are there going to be consequences for Kosh for, you know, doing what he did? Um, and then, uh, you know, I kind of also want to know, like, why are they all in love with Sinclair? Like, what's up with the wind swords? Like, they said that he was afraid of him, you know? Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, Prediction-wise, I feel like, I almost wonder, like, I, I feel like there's going to be more with the Talia thing. I just don't know what. Like, maybe is she been compromised? Or is is she going to be, somebody said something about her being weaponized, potentially, um, you know, for... Uh, I guess the Vorlon. I, I don't know. I just, I want to know like what is going to happen with her next. Cause I feel like um, there's something more to this story um, with that. So I guess that was my other, I guess that's more of a question than a prediction. And then prediction. Um, I just think some big conflict is coming and I don't know what it is. There's a lot of balls up in the air right now. And I feel like um, there's a potentially a big, <laughs> conflict coming and i know i know i said balls i'm sorry um but but i feel like um I, I feel like there's something coming and i i don't know what it is but i know something big is coming and then also um i just wanted to point out one thing that we didn't say which i thought was a great quote um, a fatal flaw in a warrior is that they were mm -hmm. sentimental. That's what the psycho lady said to Sinclair. Um, and I feel like, is that like foreshadowing that like he's going to have a fatal flaw or, you know, is something going to happen to him? So that was my other question slash prediction. So Nicole, there's a lot of balls in the air and something is coming. Understood. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and John's excited about it. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, Nicole, the one thing I can say without going beyond the rim is, um, and I, I think maybe it was just not elaborated on enough, Natoff didn't have to be the one to kill Jador. Okay. She just wanted Jador dead. She so just I think really she, I think she's going to buy Kosh a drink because okay. right. that, was, that, was, that was the last of the Dilgar that we know of. So okay. the Dilgar race just got wiped off. So I think Natoff's going to have a good drink and she's going to be happy. Got it. You know, we're talking about ethics. And everything, are we? We, all, no, we are were we? earlier, right? But the Earth Alliance beat the Delgar and then let them die because of a supernova. Did they say <laughs> that? Yeah, absolutely, they did. They said the Delgar race was wiped out because after their expansion, or their invasion didn't work. They got stuck in their home system, and the sun went supernova. Oh, the end of the Delgar. I knew. I mean, I knew she said she was the last of her kind, and I knew, you know, whatever. But I didn't realize, or maybe I just didn't hear it, that Earth let them die due to a super. Well, everyone did. Everyone. everyone let them die. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, yeah. you know, if they're basically space Nazis. I don't, you know, who's really jumping to their aid? 
You know what I mean? I mean, the whole the whole point of the Dilgar invasion, which we do not hear in this episode and we do not hear in the show, is they knew their super their their super uh, their nova uh, their son was going supernova, and so they decided to instead of asking for help, they decided to conquer other worlds to get out of their system. And when they got beat back, eh, they just died. We're going to go ahead and end that segment there, and the newbies are going to leave us so we can talk spoilers and beyond the rim. If you are new to Babylon 5, this is where you should leave us. We'll have some credits at the end, and then you can head out the door. If you either are uh, a fan who's already watched the whole series or just don't care about spoilers, stick around, and we'll answer all these questions, predictions that the newbies had. Until next week when we talk about a a rough episode, Believers, I'm Scott, and with me is... I'm Justin. I'm Emily. Jesse. Andrew. <laughs> Next. Next. Mike, this would be you. God damn it. Oh, son of a bitch. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Kevin. I'm John. Blake. And I'm Nicole. And we'll see you next week with Believers. And until next time, join us in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All the links are down in the show notes below. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, just a reminder, if you are new to Babylon 5 and you do not want to be spoiled, now is the time to turn this off because we are going to spoil uh, everything moving forward with several different big aspects of the show after Deathwalker. So first off, uh, just to kind of get at the crux of the episode, um, because there were some questions about what happens now with the serum and the Dilgar, uh, nothing. The Dilgar are gone. Deathwalker is floating in space somewhere dead. And actually, when JMS was asked back in 94, uh, question is, have we seen the last of the Dilgar? Question mark. His response, they're dead as doornails. And he was right. They're dead as doornails. So, but we do have some ta- stuff to talk about with Vorlons and with Talia. So let's jump into the Vorlon conversation. Blake, what do you got? So with the Vorlons, it, the whole conversation, I'll touch on the Talia piece in a minute, but I mean, Mike, you got really close with it in the beginning with talking about, you know, Vorlons kind of being the dad complex of stopping the younger races from doing stupid things. But as we're going to find out later in the show, that's kind of the Vorlons, what they're there. That's them in the shadows. They're supposed to be there to watch and guide and help the younger races. Now we see it went wrong because the Vorlons and the shadows have two very different ideas, but the Vorlons have meddled in the younger races throughout their history and that kind of comes out throughout the show you know they developed they manipulated the younger races to develop telepaths as weapons against the shadows they uh jumped in uh there'll be the scene in season two where kosh comes out of his encounter suit and gets recognized by everybody as some type of religious deity because that's how the borlons built themselves to the younger races so you know this is the first time we've seen it on screen but within the history this is exactly what the borlons do they step in whenever they think they need to and then with the Talia piece, I know, you know, this is a plot point that was not continued. Um, this was going to go a different direction, but it does play in really well into what eventually happened also with Talia as far as being control and the uh, under the hidden personality and agent underneath uh, who is Talia. So this does play into that really well, even though it wasn't intentional at this point. Um, and it's not inconceivable to think that the Vorlon would be able to detect and know about that and want to ensure against that. Again, not intended, but it plays really well into the eventual plot line. Well, and actually, um, 
not to correct you, uh, but it was intended at this point. Um, JMS uh, did say back in the day that it was not. Yeah, so this is actually tying right to control. So the idea is Kosh recognizes that there's another personality inside Talia, and what he was doing was making a copy of Good Talia, or I guess our Talia, because the original plan, if uh, the actress didn't decide to leave the show, was that was going to be the plot point that after everything was said and done, and actually this is hinted at later on when we talk about criminals having their minds wiped, is they will be able to bring Talia, the real Talia, back. But of course, that was never dealt with. And actually, when the episode um, Divided Loyalties, when Talia goes, we do see Garibaldi has a flashback, which is odd because Garibaldi is not in the scene. But Garibaldi has a flashback to the crystal being given to Kosh. So this ties right into uh, Talia in control. I think it's really cute. I think it's yep, really cute ahead. that some of the newbies thought that there were any consequences or repercussions that could be exacted upon the Vorlons. Yeah. They'll, you know, they'll I mean, find out that that's not really possible later on in the series. You know, I'll, I'll give it to some of them because they're not sci-fi fans, but if as a sci-fi fan, if you're just watching this for the first time, it is very clear from the get-go that the Vorlons are way too powerful for you to just care and kind of we saw that with sinclair and garibaldi when we're like yeah yeah." as mike said you got coshed i mean what are you gonna do their ships are alive what are you gonna do you know i was gonna say uh i wasn't sure where this fit into the conversation but something that is kind of i don't know bothered me i guess since the i think it was the gathering was Hmm. the fact that we see how sinclair interacts with kosh and how it's this very disassociated you know kosh is physically present but mentally not very present actively chooses to avoid engaging with anybody about anything unless he absolutely you know has to um but at some point there's a a scene where sinclair is talking to i want to say it's like the senator or somebody back on earth and they're they're having a discussion and the senator just casually drops like we've been in contact with the borlons and it's just Mm -hmm. interesting to me to think that somebody back on earth has a direct line to the borlon whatever (laughs) And and I and I have to, it made me wonder like what is that conversation like? Are they more talkative than Kosh is? Is it different well, I, than how they interact? Was it, and I think some of that is if we go to uh, the movie in the beginning. Yep, that's what I was. And say. you go through all of what's going to happen with Babylon Squared and everything. Yep, Kosh knows who Sinclair is because Kosh was there through all. So Kosh knows who Sinclair is. I think part of it in the storyline is Kosh is not communicating with Sinclair because Kosh, they don't want Kosh to give away what Kosh knows. Because we'll see once we get season two and the dynamic with Kosh and Sheridan is, is very much different than what it is with Kosh and Sinclair. Yeah. Even with, uh, you know, we were talking about the Vorlons as a father figure, Kosh literally becomes a father figure to Sheridan, but I completely agree with you, Blake. I think it is because we saw this and I I just watched in the beginning because we did, you know, stars last time last episode was um uh the vorlons are absolutely knowing exactly how the timeline's going to go because valen told them so kosh is going out of his way to make sure things go as they're supposed to but also to your point mike about the direct line of the vorlons i bet you there's a vorlon or two at earth dome much like there was a two vorlons one being kosh on the mimbari ship at the battle of the line they just kind of hang out with the races quietly guiding them so i, w- I wouldn't doubt if uh, another kosh because they're all named kosh is hanging out with the earth president right now yeah and then i guess the other thing that kind of struck me with what the newbies were talking about was um they, they kind of took issue with the, the structure of uh the babylon five council and how there's the uh the, what did they call it the oversight council was it or advisory council the advisory council versus yeah. the the league of non-aligned worlds and you know how <laughs> some of them get a vote all by themselves and others have to share a vote and how that's not very fair and i guess the thing that kind of re- that sort of reminded me of uh the story in mass effect and how there are like key races that are elevated to the kind of like galactic council important big dog table and you and it's like well how do you get invited to the big dog table who decides when you deserve to be there or not and it's like well you you get your seat at the table when you save everyone else's ass apparently is how that happens anybody else have anything for either the vorlons or talia i think the other thing that was hinted hinted at a lot by a couple of the newbies is a war is coming 
which actually there's several coming. So I'm glad that they're starting to see that. I mean, obviously you've got a five-year show to fill, but um, I think I'm interested to see how they take uh, Chrysalis, which is the last episode of the season where we actually get the assassination of the president. And uh, I'm wondering to see how they take that. And then of course, we're starting, we're going to start getting hints of the shadows here pretty darn soon. Uh, Signs and portents is coming. So I'm looking forward to how they're going to handle that. And John's in for a hell of a surprise when he sees how the Mimbari storyline goes. Or not Mimbari, yes. Centauri. Yeah, yeah, Centauri. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I mean, uh, again, Mike, you and I have both said this before. The Babylon 5 is Londo's story. And watching Londo ro- fall, rise, and then fall again is an interesting look at a character, for sure. Anybody else have anything they want to add? I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more Shadows and Earth... Uh, earth fight when we get to it but at this point it just kind of hints at what's coming next yeah the only other thing is the the newbies were asking about the wind swords and we will deal with them again they are one of the main warrior cast clans and when we get into the mimbari civil strife they're going to be a very big part of that i don't know if they're always called out as wind swords but you can just assume when the warrior cast are doing something shady thanks nicole um it's probably the wind swords I really enjoy when Nehrun shows up. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I love Nehrun. He is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Him and Talon. He's in the wilderness. Yeah, Nehrun, uh, Nehrun and Talon are my two favorite side characters in this show. And Zathrith, Zathras, which we'll get soon. Mm-hmm. Zathras, not Zathros. Okay, well, uh, until next week when we get to Believers, which I am very much interested in the conversation that will come with that episode. It actually was produced early on in the season one. So we just talked about the episode Death Walker, obviously, which was produced. Uh, let me check. 13th. Uh, yeah, it was 13th produced, but Believers is fifth produced. So we're kind of going back in time with production schedule. And I really think this is JMS planting his flag and saying we are not star trek so i'm interested to see what the newbies feel about with believers so until next time uh please be sure again to join us in our conversations we're having some really good ones on facebook twitter instagram as well as youtube you can find all those links in the show notes below and then of course if you have not done so already please give us a like uh, or a subscribe or a review in your podcast app of choice we really do appreciate it. It definitely helps get our uh, show out to other people. So if you're listening to us, and I know many of you have been listening to us from the beginning, uh, please give us a like, give us a review or whatever your podcast app does so you can help us out. So until next time, I'm Scott. And with me has been Blake, Mike, and Kevin. And we will see you uh, next time. I don't know how to end a show. Bye. Death Walker. Death Walker!